Welcome, Wheatland. Um, I know if you're hearing my voice on a podcast, you're thinking, wait a minute, they already podcasted for the sermon this Sunday. This is not cross-reference. Uh, this is another podcast that we've been working on that you may have forgotten about because of the delay between this one and the last one. And that's not for weak knees, right, gentlemen? We are not. No, sir. We're not afraid. We're not nervous. Well, we are, but we're still well, here. No. Not that not they would all. know. Not the at listeners all. hear confidence. Uh, this is this is uh, a separate podcast, just as a reminder. It's called um, uh, Two Pastors and a Professor, where I, Dan Spanger, professor at Lancaster Bible College, along with Luke LeDuc and Keith Winder, pastors of Wheatland. Um, talk through a topic and an issue. This is the fourth podcast on gender. And just as a reminder, gentlemen, if we want to kick in here, um, as we were working through some big concepts, biblically, scripturally, how does this how does this issue set up? And we've landed after the third one on probably the more complicated element of this is so if the Bible takes a position on all these things, sexuality being one thing, gender being something else, at some point, there has to be some guidance for our people and for us as we go to live together as a body that our womanness and our maleness actually matters. Um, and here, here, here's the danger of becoming prescriptive. And, and this podcast is a chance just to tease out what some of those things look like, maybe an approach that we can take as, as you're thinking yourself, if I'm, if I'm a man or a woman, what guidance can I receive to do that well scripturally? So we're hoping to sort of tease that out. I don't know, gentlemen, if you want to add anything else, that introduction, if I missed anything. No, that sounds good. Okay. No, you didn't, no, you didn't miss anything. I just affirmed that, that, uh, we, yes, that, that, that I think this is about an approach rather than the nitty gritty prescriptiveness. We're uh, culturally, we are really forced into being prescriptive about so many different things. Right. And so this is not an effort, an attempt to avoid uh, something. This is not an ep- us not being prescriptive is us not, it's not us avoiding something. Right. Uh, it's us recognizing the complexity of this. Uh, yeah. And trying to, yeah, and doing our best to provide guidance and help shepherd our people uh, and be prescriptive. I think where there are places where it's obvious to be prescriptive, mm-hmm. of course. So that's all I would have said about, yeah, that idea of being prescriptive or rather than push, uh, bringing advice and bringing thoughts and moving people in a direction. Yeah. 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 And, and really wrestling with the scriptural categories right. deeply and taking them uh, seriously. Um, and that that'll be a challenge to us in all directions anytime we do that. So right. it'll it'll challenge um, popular culture and it'll might popular secular culture, if you want to put it that way. And it might challenge popular Christian culture in some yeah. circles and forms. So, yeah. Right. Good. And we've we've done this before, so we don't have to do it again. But I, I think put this on me. I think this is a reasonable, a reasonable conversation to start out with. And that is that whatever, as we grapple through this, and one thing I've heard from both of you is the humility to say this is not something that in our 21st century culture and context, the Bible is able, you know, gives us these straightforward, this is exactly how you're going to behave. It doesn't seem even Paul's willing to do that. Um, but, but in this space, we're trying to learn to be obedient as a scripture, which is written thousands of years ago, uh, tries to give us direction. And the one thing I think that I've appreciated about it is we've drawn some, some really hard lines in previous conversations that whatever this conversation does, it is not in any way a challenge to those biblical statements. And, and I think yeah. our statements, our, our paperwork says that, our, our mm-hmm. commitments say that. I right. think it's just helpful just to verbalize that with our, yeah. with our listeners. Yeah, depending on where you come in out of the, uh, what, depending on whether you've listened to any of the previous podcasts <laughs> right. or not, yeah, um, all of this that we're talking about gender roles, um, sits squarely 
upon the foundation of the sexuality of men and women um, that we have been taught in the scriptures uh, mm -hmm. about whether it's marriage or human sexuality, that all of that is um, marriages between a man and a woman and that sexual um, joy and life and flourishing is always found within uh, the covenant of marriage, you know, built solidly on those things um, that we affirm with sort of the church historic for thousands of years. Right. And as gender, again, I think Keith, you said this gender is really complicated. Our culture wants to be overly prescriptive just because we're, we're not going to probably as prescriptive as some people would like, or maybe overly prescriptive for others. Mm -hmm. All of this is an attempt to be faithful to those categories of scripture lays out that it's not a, there's no confusion in this, mm -hmm. from this body. I don't think in our leadership in the church anywhere that men aren't men and women are women sexually mm -hmm. gender. We realize there is some confusion because cultures we talked about before have all dealt with this differently. Mm -hmm. So one culture might, and I, I think in the video we all watched prior to this, um, the, the gentleman, Josh uh, Butler saying, you know, back in the 1920s, pink was considered more masculine than blue. Mm -hmm. Blue was considered too delicate and pink was mm -hmm. considered you know, um, you know, strong. So, right. so whether the culture is decided on pink or blue is not, and whether we right. in, in the 21st century, we're not changing the biblical yeah. norms on this. Right. And, yeah. and even by recognizing that, uh, we're not saying, and, and I guess we'll get into that in the podcast, but even by recognizing the fact, oh, well, back in the 20s, pink was a male masculine color and blue was a feminine color. And so therefore, there is no, you know, their right. gender, it, all of this is an extremely fluid sort of thing. That That's a, a, a bridge too far that, right. that we're not saying either. So yeah, so taking the time to pause and say, okay, what can we say from the scriptures that is faithful and responsible, right. um, that recognizes all of the vicissitudes of cultures and, and, and um, yeah, contexts. Yeah, what people need to hear and is that the, the one Wheatland is not giving up in any way compromising its its sound commitment to be led by the scriptures. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we always know exactly how the scriptures can be applied to this situation. Every every Christian age has struggled with doing the same thing, but it yeah. does mean at the end of the day that our final and absolute commitment is not to this culture or even our particular views on this. It always we're always loyal eventually and ultimately to the scriptures themselves. Mm -hmm. And in light of that, I think Keith, in our conversation before this, you you made this point. While we say that, we also want people to hear that this is a particularly um, safe place if you're struggling with these things. Just because Wheatland has taken a hard stand biblically does not mean that everyone that comes here is able to get it right in some way, or that for some people this isn't a struggle, right? And we want people to hear this is a place you can come and struggle. Yeah, yeah, because, um, and we've, yeah, we've, we've said this before, but I don't think you can say it enough, that truth without love can oftentimes mm -hmm. do a significant amount of damage. And uh, and at the very least, it shuts off conversation and it shuts off wrestling and struggle. And so our hope is that uh, podcasts like this, especially because it some it's disconnected in some ways from our people, because it's just the three of us on a screen and <laughs> there's no one else even, nobody can engage with us, mm -hmm. that this is the beginning each of these episodes, in a sense, is the beginning or the open door, maybe a better way to say it. This is the open door to further conversation. And so when we, when we share things and talk about things and 
and you, you heard something a certain way and you think, hmm, that's okay, that, that did not sound right. That didn't sit right with me to come and, and talk with one of us or, or all of us uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and listen or, or share, yeah, whether it's a struggle like you're saying, I'm really struggling in this particular area, in this particular place that you've talked about, to see this as not a final word, but the opening of a door for mm. a conversation, whether it's with us or a care group leader at Wheatland or one of the elders that you have a connection with. Um, yeah, that this is this is part of a relationship, even though it's a podcast, so it can feel disconnected. Right. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> what Keith is speaking to is that we realize that this podcast is going out to people in very different places, probably with different needs and different anxieties and different things that they're wrestling with. And it, we realize that this is getting at a, a the entirety of the congregation, which as you know, Dan, that makes teaching <laughs> different, yeah. it, it, shepherding yeah. from the front. Uh, right. And I think you and I have talked about the difference between a professor and a pastor and, mm -hmm. and, and the difference of what, what your role is there. Right. And that, that's what makes this conversation to pastors and a professor, I think, such an interesting one is we're, we're always hearing from the professor side versus the pastor side yeah. and, and balancing that out. But yeah, the recognition that there are multiple um, needs and anxieties um, mm -hmm. that people are hearing all this through. And let's have a conversation. Um, this is very different from sitting in an office with one person and talking about their particular Right, um, right. Struggle versus just talking more abstractly about yeah. struggles in general. Unbeknownst to all of you uh, who are listening, uh, this this group here has been processing this for some time. Because I and I think I want to go back to something you just said, Luke. There is, I think, the tendency for at least on my end to want the intellectual flexibility to ask some really hard questions and push in some ways. I think in a classroom makes sense, but this is a pastoral thing we're trying to do, not just abstract concepts. And I think we are dealing with that. Level. We're trying to love our people and give them guidance. And in light of that, we've been wrestling with. What's a metaphor? How do you deal with this? If we're going to avoid, as Keith says, prescriptions, we're going to say, if you're a male, you do these things. If you're a female, you do those things. What might be another metaphor for how we can help people think of their gender if it's not a set of moral laws and it's not a set of prescriptive behaviors? And we ended up watching, um, and, and Luke sent this to us, uh, Josh Ryan Butler's who I believe is a pastor in the PCA. Is that correct? I don't, I'm not no, familiar with him. No, he's a pastor, not in the PCA. Not in, the PCA, okay. And on the West Coast somewhere. I hope that okay. doesn't prejudice anybody against him. But. <laughs> <laughs> he just killed the podcast, yeah. thanks. Uh, but, yeah. but, the, but what he brought up there, whether, whether his specifics or not, I think was yeah. helpful and has given us some language for this. And the language is this, that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with this concept and then we can tease out how to define it. But he, he made this really key distinction between gender being a stereotype and when you think of stereotype, I think you think of like a set of prescribed behaviors. You know, if you're stereotypically mm -hmm. this, you act in certain ways. He used another word, uh, archetype. Mm -hmm. And he said, really, the Bible requires us to see maleness, not as a set of do's and don'ts, but there's some archetypal thing that should guide, direct, and form us. So we're going to use that metaphor. And I, and I, I don't know if it's the last word on it, mm -hmm. but I do think right. it's really helpful. Can, can you gentlemen talk me through here how an archetype for something like this would be a helpful way of thinking about our gender. 
Yeah, I can um, start out and then maybe Keith, you can chime in yeah. and fix what I have muddled. Uh, but I, I think when I think of archetype, I feel like it is a, a guiding um, heading mm. under which you can begin to flesh out some principles and some sort of outlines that has some boundaries on the outside, but the inside of it, it may shape up a little bit differently. Right. And I think um, as, as we talk about archetype of gender, um, of course, where am I going to be interested in going? It's Genesis again. Mm -hmm. And um, I think like what I found so helpful in the Joshua Ryan Butler video was the way in which he sort of went back to Genesis and saw our first parents, Adam and Eve, created uh, not only physiologically or maybe we'll say biologically different. And, and of course, that is an archetype for us on our sexuality and right. that sort of thing. But also the tasks um, that they were given also seem to get at some archetypes of gender roles mm. for male and female that I thought was at least uh, provocative and worth considering. And, mm. and so but, but before saying everything at once, I, I, I think there are these archetypes for gender roles that we see even in Genesis that I, I don't know, I think they're worth considering and talking about together. So, so the idea of archetype here, Luke, provides us possibly from what I'm, you're saying with, with a guide. And mm -hmm. I think you, we've, we've probably beat the navigation metaphor to death here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but something of a guide that allows us to make decisions about how to live out our masculine and feminine, which are, cannot be reduced to a set of do's and don'ts or a set of color choices for, for onesies um, with our kids, not that those things aren't relevant. Um, so you've given us one thing here, Keith, or sorry, Luke, to work with, and that is it, it, it sets up this general category of things or a guide. Are there other, other dimensions of this metaphor? I think, Keith, we, we were talking possibly about, and Luke, possibly about a telos, and I know that's an important concept, right? That there is this idea of an end or a goal um, uh, about how we live that might be defined by this sort of, this sort of thing. Um, I don't know if, Keith, you have anything you want to add to the the idea of telos is also a model for this. Yeah, I think in the sense that um, there, I mean, in a set scripture, when we we see all these faithful examples of of men and women following following Jesus, whether it's men and women following Jesus, or whether it's uh, people in the Old Testament seeking to be faithful to the commands of God. And I think in the sense that we, we don't pick one of those up and say, okay, David's the one I'm going right. to like, I'm everything, I'm going to be everything that David is because David stumbles and falls and trips. But mm -hmm. at the same time, someone like David is held up as oh, like, this is a man after God's own heart. So that's significant for me when I think of where am I where am I moving toward as a man? Mm -hmm. Like what, what, where am I, where is this headed? 
there are so many general categories of what faithfulness looks like in the scriptures. But also, if I if I look in the scriptures at people like David who are held up as as sort of a, a model, I can use someone like him to say, where am I headed? What direction ought I to be moving toward? Mm-hmm. And it's the qualities that I see in someone like David. Of course, mm-hmm. he fails. And in the midst of failure, how does David handle that as a man? How does mm-hmm. he respond when Nathan the prophet comes and says, mm-hmm. what do you, you know, like, David, look what you've done. How does David then respond with that? So even in the midst of failure, there's something for me to be moving toward and uh, shooting for in a sense. And this gives, I think this gives good language um, to, to how to think about what gender is and how to live into it is that we think in terms of, we think in terms of travel, we think in terms of not, and again, I, I keep coming back to this because I feel like this is where we're all getting hit with is this really, really tight set of rules. Um, but this, but, but travel is a different thing than that. It's, it's something to navigate. It's decisions that have to be made that aren't necessarily, sometimes they, they advance you, sometimes they slow you down, sometimes they're wiser or less wise. But if, uh, if David picks up a lute and starts to play and dance, we're not like, ooh, he really screwed up the male paradigm there. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 there's part of a direction. He's living into something. And that telos, that, and I think, Luke, you've done a little bit on this concept of a telos being the complete end is not something mm-hmm. we're in here. Mm-hmm. It's something we're moving towards. Yeah. And I think that's, Keith, what you're giving us, that sense that we move towards yeah. it. Yeah. I think, I think that's interesting to think about telos and gender as well. Um, because we, again, I don't want to open a can of worms that I can't shut or <laughs> well, I'm not no. willing to eat. <laughs> no, but uh, this is just throwing out a question. In, in God's new world, there's the statement uh, when people ask Jesus, like, who will this man's, who will be this? Oh, the woman's husband. Because yeah, she's who will be this woman's husband in the resurrection? Yeah. If you guys believe in resurrection, then who will this who will be this woman's husband? And Jesus says something about they're neither married nor given in marriage in the resurrection. So that's not to say that um, there is no gender. I'm, I'm not. I'm not at all making any any uh, statements about that, except only to say that we are moving towards something that will not be completed until God's new day, and yet on the journey, as you've outlined, there seem to be these, um, these archetypes that help us progress in that journey that we see from the beginning all the way through the story, you know, without trying to figure out exactly how all that gets wrapped up in God's new world. Um, faithful living in a world, in a body, seems to have with it, and as I said from that Genesis passage, a couple of a couple of things that are really helpful that grow out of our bio, biological um, uh, realities. You you made a statement when we were chatting about this before to in prep for this, and I thought that was a neat. I never thought of it as a picture that way. Well, you you said Luke that when when we are in eternity, there will be men and women, right? That the gender distinction will be clear mm-hmm. because God has made it clear. So, mm-hmm. so that living into our gender as it is is not a is not a hopeless process. It's not right. a it's not a relativistic or meaningless process. It's mm-hmm. a good process because yeah. as we learn to do that here, we're preparing ourselves to live into whatever. And we're going to get it wrong. I mean, I mean right. I don't think there's necessarily all hard and fast rules to all this. Right. But the point is that is in the end game, yeah. it is going to matter. Right. Still, right. in eternity, there's going to be men being men and women being women. 
So it, right. we have every reason to try. We have every yeah. reason to to work at it, which I thought was a really helpful image. Yeah, and and of course we we base that on the resurrected body of Jesus, right? In in and in the sense that he is ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he is himself in a biological and gendered existence in in God's presence. And again, right. some of that gets a little, I don't want to, I don't want to dis- distract us with that sort of stuff. But yeah, you're, I, I think the point is uh, still there to be made. And, um, and I think it's helpful for us at one level, as as we struggle in different ways, perhaps some of us than others. Yeah, and it does, it gives, I think it gives reason for the struggle. Because I think the other thing yeah. is, God, God just doesn't care. I just, I'm just not, but if, if his eternity is one that's defined by gender distinction, because that's why he created men and women in his image to be that mm-hmm. distinct, then it does seem to me we've got a good incentive to really work at it because, yeah. because our redeemed selves, our redeemed community and kingdom is going to be that way. So it's going to be a joyful, celebratory, redeemed thing, right. not a broken, flawed thing the way it is. And I, I think we, in, in light of this, maybe one other one other word we can use is that archetypes, and I'll ask you to tease this out if you think this is a good way yeah. to say it. Archetypes can also, to some degree, be aspirational. And if I if I think of if I think of when I was a kid playing baseball, I had my archetype swing, um, mm. uh, Garcia, what was his <laughs> name? Uh, but he his swing to me was the perfect swing, and I always worked. I never did, of course, but but I, I learned to step and turn the way he did. So it mm-hmm. gave me something to aspire to that I wasn't just out there trying to invent a swing. I was, I was actually trying to pick one that I could sort of move into. And is there yeah, a sense yeah. in which, in which for people, this, these archetypes might give us something aspirational, like they might say, well, I'm going to start pointing myself and directing myself. And that's, is that a fair way to say it? I, yeah, I, I'll speak to that in just a second. One other thing I was thinking about when Luke and you guys are talking about this idea that uh, in eternity, marriage, mm-hmm. marriage between men, men and women goes away. Uh, because it's not necessary anymore, because it was pointing us toward something else. Uh, I think that that should be, I hope it is, and if it's, it, that should be encouraging for, for people single, who want for their single marriages people. to go away. No, that <laughs> this is not, a counseling session. I don't yeah, think we're ready okay. for it. No, so, that's, that's actually not, that's not what I was thinking. Don't get distracted. Like, that should be encouraging for people who are single, because sometimes we tend to think that are ma- being male and female the only the only reason that matters is because when you get married that's that's why it matters but no, when the scriptures point, yeah. say that oh well marriage is a temporary thing being male and female is not temporary mm-hmm. this will continue and so right. at so at some point we're, we're all going to be single again uh in that <laughs> in that sense and so i think that yeah. that's i hope that that's significant and encouraging for people who who are single and I, and I think it should be significant for us as church leaders to talk about being male and female and also to talk about marriage in a way that makes it mm. seem like, oh, this isn't the only, the only reason God made us male and female is because then we can get married and right. have babies. Well, that's significant. And we, we should be doing, like, if, if God calls us to be married and, then, and you're able to have children, then obviously that is one reason that we're male and female, but it's right. not the only reason. And it doesn't make singleness right. a, le- a less than situation. Mm-hmm. But you know the other part of that key is a great point. I'd never thought about that because yeah. the other the other benefit you gain from that is to say even as a married person, my gender is not limited to my marriage roles. There's mm-hmm. more to my gender than that. If at one point this is just all preparation for something that is 
and it includes it because obviously Paul's very clear about that. Scripture is very clear about that, that your gender has to be lived out in marriage in certain ways. But at the same time, that's a good point. That's not the final iteration of my gender is my marital vows. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that. Hmm. Yeah, like I, I think about, I think about um, in our marriage. So even, but even within marriage, male and female, like you're saying, Dan, male and female matters. Like Mel- Melanie is so attuned to our, our children. Like she has this built-in compassion and thoughtfulness with what our children are thinking and struggling with that I tend to just, I don't know. I, I don't know what's, well, this is not a video. So I guess me throwing my hand in front <laughs> of my face does, isn't helpful, <laughs> but like I, I miss stuff so significantly. And maybe, I mean, so I guess you could say maybe that's just personality, but I think also there is something that, that God has created uh, women to, and it's not that every woman would be better than every man at this, but archetype, that, that, not stereotype, yeah, that there's, this, there's this archetype here that, she, it's not because she's a wife that she's attuned to that, although she might be more sensitive to her, to her children because now there's this connection. Yeah. But she, she sees this all over the place and I, and I miss it. And then she has to call me out on it. Like, hey, do you, do you realize, oh, you went straight for the task. You went straight for checking off that box and getting this thing done. And you may have missed the person in, in the midst of all that. And that's, I think that is, even if that wasn't within a marriage, that's male and female interdependent upon so, each other so keith you've given an, i don't know if Ty, you want to jump in here luke i don't want to cut you off but no, you've given me. us another dimension of this archetype thing so one of the things about being aspirational is it becomes a guide for action that you 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 may you may as a man if you say the the archetype of male and we'll talk about some some models from the scripture but the archetype is this way if i'm going to make a decision about how to act next i'm going to try to point myself towards that so i can actually use the archetype to help make decisions you're also talking about the fact and i think this is where butler goes in his work is that the archetype is more of a tendency that there there is this tendency in men to do certain things and and not always some some men the tendency is stronger and some it's weaker and in women there's a tendency so this archetype is a complicated enough subject or model that it includes both sort of inbred tendencies which we can celebrate we can celebrate the fact that you're not good at relational things keith because you're called to do other things or gifted to do other yeah. things. So we can celebrate yeah. the difference, but it also gives us something if we make decisions about something as a man to actually try to try to angle ourselves towards the archetypal model for us. So it, so it becomes also that as well. Yeah. Is, that, is that fair, Luke? Yeah, I like that. And I think what it, what it also does is it, <clears throat> it fills up deficiencies in mm-hmm. a way that don't get filled otherwise. Mm, um, so let's say, um, you, well, I, I was thinking about, I don't know if this gets too weird, but um, the other day I came into the office and Keith is sitting behind his desk uh, doing something. I could have been watching YouTube for all I know, but um, he didn't get up and come out and shake my hand and say nice things to me or anything. And uh, I came in and put my stuff down and. Uh, he didn't say anything to me. He's just working. And I'm like, Keith, are, I, I went in a few minutes later. I said, Keith, are you okay? Is everything okay? Yeah. Why? I said, well, I came in and you didn't get up and affirm me and you didn't, you didn't come out and, and just. Berlin would have, would have come out and at least. Said yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or if someone else comes in, I mean, I like destroy the whole office the peace and the quiet of what's going on to what, whatever, you know, is this, this difference, but we fill up deficiencies. I think there's a sense in which when um, we recognize that archetypally, again, not stereo, 
typically, but archetypally or typally, um, that the uh, the female, the woman, the women in in the world, the women in our lives are often more okay. This cuts against what I just said about myself, but the <laughs> the women in our lives are often um, more attuned to some of those things than than the men are and that's not that's not saying every woman is more about relationships than men are I, I i'm not trying to make that statement at all but if we recognize that that is generally archetypally um an orientation uh for the feminine gender and their proclivities then that, i think that helps us as we um serve one another in the church as as we live lives of interdependence in the church that we know where some of our there are at least places where we can begin to look for deficiencies and begin to look for places to where those deficiencies can be rounded out and filled up get just under this just for a minute before we get up to specifics and that is that i think where i think where this can be a struggle for us in our present culture is what you're describing luke um is both a, both a way of describing what is right so there's that's and right. people are fine describe it what is that's just not me yeah. people can say right but there is an element to this which is for our culture is difficult and that is in order to live this way it may be difficult it, it may not be that what we're going to do is say gender is however you feel about it no there's always something in the scripture that says that we have to be formed. We have to be shaped. And, and we can, as Christians, I think, approach this subject or anyone saying, on that issue, I won't be shaped. On that issue, this is who I am, and I'm, I'm not going to accept this. My tendency, I tend to like whatever, whatever. And I'm, I'm, I don't, because we're not going to get into the weeds about whether it's a color or a pink or whether you, you know, right. wear an earring or anything like that. But the point is, when we look at gender, that, like everything else, has to be one of those areas where we are willing to be shaped and we are willing to accept the hard thing because ultimately this isn't about what we say it is. It's ultimately what God says about it. And, and, and I think in a lot of things, we're okay about that. You talk about drugs, okay, fine. Infidelity, okay, fine. But our culture has made gender experience a sacrosanct space where whatever you feel about yourself has to be unchangeable by it. No one can speak to it, but that. And, and I, Whatever we say about this, I just don't think, I don't think we can be that and biblical at the same time, because the Bible always challenges us to form in such a way that's going to be uncomfortable with who we are. And I just, I don't think gender can be removed from this. That's the one area that God is not going to make you worry or, de or deal with that. You, whatever you are, you're fine. That doesn't seem, so we got these two things that I think are competing, the idea of a tendency, mm -hmm. which I think we can mark out and statistically say, oh yeah, most women yeah. like this, most women. but there is also under there some way we have to say, this is also formational. And that may mean that it's tough to different degrees for different people. And I, I just, I think we, we're both talk, we're all talking that way, but yeah. it seems like both these things are in play. To, and we're not saying exactly what it is, because again, it's not us, it's the Bible. So we all submit to it too. But it just seems like we have to admit this may be tough for some of us. Well, all of us in different ways, I suppose. I think about 
my own personal struggle. So in, in, at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and he, he says to act like men and he lists all these things. And it doesn't mean, again, that only men be do these things, but it's be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be strong and let all you do be that all that you do be done in love. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And he, in the middle of that, it's act like men. And so that's a general call to all Christians, but he, he challenges me as a man to, to do these things. And okay. So I struggle with all four of those, of course, I struggle with being watchful. <laughs> I think you're the only one. Standing, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's why I'm talking because you're yeah, yeah, good, yeah. good on these. Um, but I, I think I particularly struggle with the, the strength, not just physical strength, even though definitely I struggle with that too, but, but this idea of being in a difficult situation and not trying to remove myself from it rather than staying in and I mean, trusting in the spirit's work in my life, Mm -hmm. but trusting in that, that, that the spirit works in and through me providing strength. And now as, as a man like that, I have to live this way. Mm. My tendency, and, th- and this is where I think it gets into the, it's, this is painful, Dan, that you're talking about. I, what I want to do is back up and let somebody step in. So if it's, if it's, uh, wor- it's pastorally, I want to back up and let Luke step in and do mm. a back up and let it, somebody else step in. Or at home, I want to back up and let Melanie step in or whatever situation it is. And so I think that's where, yeah, these things, just because uh, something might be a tendency for men or just because it might be a call for men or women in a particular place. It doesn't mean we're necessarily built to do that naturally because mm. goodness mm. gracious, these things are a struggle. Let all that I be, right. let all that I do be done in love. I mean, come on. Uh, right. That's, that's right. an hourly difficulty for me to, to mm. give of myself mm. for, for others. And so, right. And yeah. that's a good point. And, and I, I want to add to that. I think too, we, we, we could all admit this, that it's not only that, it might be difficult to live into the archetype, but we can overdo it. Right? I mean, we can, we can say, oh, if my job is to be strong, then I refuse to bend it. No, you know, we can, we can take yeah. our archetype too far if it's not balanced by it. So we're not talking here that the only error we can make is that we don't live into the archetype. It's that we overemphasize it or that it becomes reductionistically the, and I think our culture faced this, sorry, the historian here, but you, you, previously the, the male archetype was the only one that really was needed. And now we're moving into one where really it's only the feminine one that's needed. And, and either, either of these is also a problem. We can't, we can't accept mm-hmm. that there's only one. There's, these have to live in balance with one another so that we don't overrun one. To I mean, you, you can be overly mm-hmm. sympathetic to the point where you, know, you can't uphold. You can be overly harsh if we're just taking two, two middle examples on this. Overly harsh, you need to balance both these. So we're not just talking about not being able to live into, let's say, your archetypal model, but you can overdo it too. So mm-hmm. there's lots of ways we can, we struggle yeah. with this. We all do. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of sort of I, the Apostle Paul, where um, at sometimes he writes these very fierce letters right. to, to a church and says, this should never be named among you. And, and says some other harsh things to the Corinthians not harsh things, but very firm and, and categorical uh, things that must be addressed and dealt with that are going on in the church. And then at another place, maybe somebody already mentioned this, Paul says, I was among you like a nursing mother. And I think that's an interesting phrase that um, it, it speaks to both of both sides of, of, of what we're talking about, because 
Paul uses the phrase nursing mother to sort of generalize and play on people's general understanding that uh, mothers are nurturing and gentle and nourishing for their children. They're a source of life and they're kind and that, you know, not just physical life, but emotional life, all of that that happens when a mother nurses her child, there's all these connections and things that go on that do not work with just a dad holding a bottle, perhaps. I don't right, know. I'm, right. I'm not going to get into theory of breastfeeding here in this podcast. <laughs> but, a lot of places we don't mean to go here. Yeah. We're going. Um, but at the same time, he is saying, I was like that among you. Um, so so it's, this, it's this generality that says, in one sense, we all recognize that mothers are very nurturing. And mm. yet at the same time, he's saying, and when that was what was needed in the situation, that's what I became to you. Mm. I became to you. Uh, and I didn't write the letter that I wrote to the well, now, now let's let's just let's before we move on because we do want to get to what these archetypes might be like biblically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you raise another, and I think this is this ties into something Keith had said offline, and I, it was really helpful. And I think you're teasing it out for us here, Luke, because this idea that an archetype is also a model, and what I what we mean by that is not just like a model for behavior. So, you know, as a male, I want to live into my archetype, but if I want to learn to be compassionate, I might use the females among me to teach me what that looks like. And if a woman, I think of Deborah which oftentimes is brought up as a model, was Deborah was actually not trying to be masculine. She was actually having to do something and using that to criticize the men for not doing what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But then she lived then into some models and examples of what it meant to have to do something violent, which was not normally, I think, what Deborah wanted to do in that scenario. But the idea then is that these, are, these archetypes are not just for the other. They're, if I want to learn how to be like, like Paul here, learning to be, I think it's in First Thessalonians, learning to be compassionate, actually looked across Alan and said, well, how do women do it? Oh, nursing mothers are the best. And that's going to teach me how I need to be compassionate. So these are not exclusive categories. They might also be models for how to stand firm or maybe a model for how to, you know, be compassionate. And I, I think that was helpful, Keith, that you said that, because it makes it, it, these are not like mutually exclusive. You, you only right. can be one, you can't be the other, yeah. but it does hold a woman up as being the model of right. these sorts of things. And it holds a man up maybe as being a model of those sorts of things. Yeah, and and I think it also means that uh, if I'm following you, Dan, and you can push back on this if this isn't what you're saying, but um, masculinity and femininity um, ought to be sort of studied in one sense by both genders um, Mm -hmm. in that if that's the case, if they become a model for us, it's not as if uh, men only need to know what it is to be masculine and women only need to know what it is to be feminine. We, we need to be able to recognize where those roles, uh, what those roles are, the fullness of them, and then where they're needed to, to apply them with wisdom. Yeah, you know, right, right. Knowing right. that the, <laughs> the female is this sort of archetype of it and the male right. is the archetype of masculinity, but also do we know what that means do we do we know them in their in, yeah. in more of their depth and fullness yeah it doesn't paul paul obviously is not abandoning his masculinity by acting with a nursing mother yeah. but it does seem like he did look across and went oh that there's a, if i need to be compassionate he may not have tried his instincts and we don't know there but he may have said my instinct was to do this but i've yeah. seen mothers with delicate children mm-hmm. be in a way that i don't know how to be so i've learned how to do that but then he didn't 
become a nursing mother. He just said, I, I learned how to do that when necessary. But he was still living into whatever masculine archetype, I think, is part of his own personality and part of what scripture called him to be. So I, again, I, one of the things I want to say about the archetype concept, and I'm going to ask the next question to take us to the next step here, is that for me, is that we've wrestled through this in conversation, the very concept that we don't have a stereotype, that would be easy, right? I think we yeah. all wish that that would be the case. Let's just, here's the rule, do this. But it's complicated because the concept of archetype is not something you can nail down into a set of these. And it's, it takes work and it's not always precise, but that seems to be where scripture leaves us. It doesn't seem to want to give us these very overly precise gender, sexuality, absolutely, but the gender ones right. doesn't seem to give us. So by doing this, what, I, what mm -hmm. I appreciate about you two gentlemen in our conversation is we're trying to create possibly a framework so that we really submit ultimately to the Bible in this and not submit to some man-made constructs. Right. And the archetype to me is the, seems to be one of the best ways to do that. It's, it's, it's fairly definitive, but it's not overly prescriptive. It, it has a, a, an aspirational element to it, but it doesn't moralize about the colors you wear and it, it doesn't do those sorts of things. So mm -hmm. anyway, that, all that to say, let's, let's, let's do the tough thing now and ask um, what, what kind of things do the scriptures lay out as an archetype for maleness and what, what does the bible lay out possibly for an archetype for femaleness how, how, how can we actually start to fill in those categories now that we're thinking this way yeah um i think i and again i want to give credit to um joshua ryan butler mm -hmm. um i'm not saying that i you know agree 100 percent with everything he said although i found it I, I don't know that i can think of something that oh i this i'm opposed to but um and, I think one of the things that he pointed out um, that I had seen before, but I, I don't think I'd seen it quite the way he, he pointed it out, was that the task, um, what you see God doing in the first, you know, six days of creation is that God is forming and filling the earth. So that, that's sort of the the way in which creation itself gets unfolded to us in the text so um uh you know god creates light and then later on he specifies it or fills it as sun moon and stars mm -hmm. he creates the seas and then he fills it with fish and so he creates he forms the land and then he fills it with so he has this forming and filling thing that we see god doing um, in, in those, and then he creates man and woman. And the task that he gives them as biologically different sexes is the task of forming and filling. And he uses those two as an archetype. You say Butler uses those. Butler two. does, yeah. And I, I, I found that pretty helpful for a way to begin to think about, okay, what are the archetypes for gender then for man and woman? And again, as an archetype with all of the complicated background and nuance that we've tried to sort of paint before, um, Butler makes the case that the archetype for a male is forming and the archetype for a female is filling. And again, um, it's the task of forming and filling the earth. Uh, what we would call what the cultural mandate is that what we, right. you know, right. 
you know, subdue the earth and, and fill it, that sort of thing. That's the language where he's getting that it's given to the man and woman is that they are given that, but, and they both do it together. It's not right. as if one man does forming, woman does filling. They're I don't told, think the pregnancy thing works that way. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're told to form and fill together. And yet, even when you think about pregnancy, of course, which Genesis thinks a lot about pregnancy. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. a key part. Of the, it's a key part of the curse after the fall. It's a key part of the, uh, well, before that, it's a key part of the cultural mandate fulfilling. If you're going to mm. fill the earth and subdue it, you're going to need people to fill it, and you're going to need a lot of help to subdue it because it's right. a big, wide, wonderful world. But the point is, um, even biologically, um, Adam and Eve seem uniquely built to, to, to begin to lean into those two archetypal ideas of forming and filling. Hmm. I, I think that's at least a helpful place for us to start to, to, to see that. Yeah, and there's, and I think one of the things I thought very helpful in Butler saying that was not just the jobs, which, I mean, they're they're clear if you understand anatomy and you understand what yeah. God's calling them to do. But then in the cursing, it even becomes clearer that when God curses woman as woman, mm -hmm. it's it's the filling function so that the 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 having of children becomes the thing of the most pain, and the relationship with her husband becomes the thing that becomes most mm -hmm. threatened. For the man, it's the world he has to work in that becomes threatening. And of course, it's the woman's problem also that there's going to be less bread around and more thorns and thistles. And of course, it's the husband's problem that the wife is going to really struggle in pregnancy and childbirth. Those men who've not had wives yet do that, you will understand what I mean when I say that when you go through it. But it will all be yours too. But at the same time, it seems like God is, is giving the curse at the particular area of this archetypal function that the what the woman is called to do specifically is the area that will be the most difficult and where the man is called to do will be the most difficult for him mm -hmm. yeah and i think the other thing that's helpful with with that is uh we could we could err i think in saying oh that means that the the forming task is going to work and the filling task is staying home although right. those things can happen but I mean, you think about the life that Adam and Eve are entering into. Mm -hmm. like they're they're they are they are both necessary to make to sustain to sustain their family life. They are mm -hmm. both working really really hard, and probably running themselves into the ground, especially after they're outside. I mean, right. after the curse and they're outside. And you think about that in any sort of agricultural society. I mean, this mm -hmm. is a this is a family work to make this happen. Husbands, right. wives, children. Well, whoever brothers and sisters, people are all coming together, mm. and so it's not even um, like at different periods in our history, these sort of forming and filling things play out differently uh, depending on where we are technologically and maybe even where you live mm. in particular places. Uh, mm. But so I, I thought that was interesting too, and I think it's helpful because even this forming and filling isn't prescribing particular tasks. Right. Uh, although obviously because of our biology, there are some tasks that uh, men can do and some tasks that only women can do. And that's, and so there are obviously some particulars, but in general, this is a, a bent and a, a call towards a, a, a general work. And I think in our conversations, we tease that out. And I think, Luke, I, I have appreciated Butler um, equally, although it seems like there's more we could possibly say the forming and filling seem rather, um, 
um, I don't know, objective and sterile, not that's a weird thing to say about filling, I suppose, but it's, it's a little broad, but, but I think we've recognized that when oh, in the filling aspect, if that's, we're going to use the category, there are certain things that come with woman's role there that are unique. And you've already mentioned this and Keith, you've mentioned it too, that it seems like in the filling role, one of the archetypes of femininity is very relational, um, relational to the children um, relational aspects that come with raising children. Of course, the men play a role in also, but there is this unique relational contact. And that if on the forming side, you can even you can extend that not just into the the sort of generic idea of forming, but that there's there's an objective less than personal, right? It, forming has a lot to do with working with rocks and land and wood, and this filling part seems to do a lot. With, so can we can we provide a little more definition to these archetypes by saying that men in the forming, the archetype is also that they're probably going to be working more in the world, in, in things, um, in, in that sort of thing, where women are probably going to be working more in relational aspects and overseeing those parts of it. Is that, is that fair to, to add some definition into these broader categories? Yeah, I think there's been lots of, lots of studies about that, and, and Butler points that out in, in, in his talk, that um, just in general, not stereotypically, but in general, <laughs> not every man and not every woman, but there seems to follow that men are interested in things and women are interested in relationships. And again, yeah. that's, I, I think you say, that sounds really um, stereotypical, but we're, but we're not saying that as stereotypical at all. We're saying yeah. what, what, reality bears out in a sense what mm. reality bears witness to is there is this archetype <laughs> underneath all of our discussion and our anxiety uh, about this there seems to be these archetypes that bear out and hold true and they don't hold perfectly true for every female they don't hold perfectly true for every male if as a woman you are more interested in process engineering than than relationships or whatever. If that doesn't mean you're, you're not being not, anti-biblical, there. No, you're not being anti-biblical. You're not you're not a, a real woman. Or if I'm, as a man, um, you're more interested in dance or or I I don't you know in relationships. That doesn't mean you're less of a man. Because what I find interesting, so I, I think that's important to say, is that, yeah, those are just categories that this isn't just what the scriptures seem to bear out. This seems to sort of be what reality and the world around us bears out. What, what, I, what I think is helpful if we go back and use the concept of archetype, again, I want to come back to these two concepts here and, and ask whether they, we can remain, we can continue to use archetype this way. Because one is, again, a tendency. It's not a moral yeah, category, right, it's just tendency. Right. The other part might be aspirational in the sense that, and I, I don't know if this is going too far, but I'm thinking of myself and saying, if my archetype is this forming thing, um, certainly I want to learn how to do relations well. It's not like those are kept from me. But it seems like it, this could say, I have a specific responsibility, or if opportunities arise to do the forming functions, then I need to take seriously a challenge to learn to do that. Like, can, can this in some way be a guide so that when I come to make a decision, whatever that, not like one is right and one is wrong, but we have these tendencies out there and we have these aspirational things. Do we, as a man, and I, and I think in marriage, I think Paul is dealing with this a little bit when, when he's trying to say, you know, men love your husbands 
or love your wives. Sorry, that was really badly, badly said. <laughs> husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and wives submit to the husbands. That may not always be a comfortable thing to have to do, but there's this archetypal responsibility for the man to actually assume some of these. You may not want to. I get it. You don't like it. I don't like being authoritative. I don't want to be that way. But since it's my archetype, I may have a responsibility to take that on. And a woman says, I don't want to be you know, submissive in this decision, but I'm going to take that on because it's my archetype. Are, are, are we okay in saying that these archetypes also provide us some ways, maybe not it's always one or always the other, but some way of making a decision about how I might live as a man. Like I might start to take as guidance, where can I be a former, let's say it that way, or a woman, how can I be a filler? Not that they're exclusive, but can we say something about that being at least directive? Yeah, I like, I'll, maybe this is what you're asking, Dan. I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. So um, as a man, as in general, uh, a filler, I think some, I mean, a former, some aspect of that is, is uh, I think Butler mentions it, protection and, or protection and provision or something like that. And so I know that when I've had family members who, because of physical limitations, are no longer able to work. So men who are not able to work, they, they've expressed like, so now what does it look like for me to be a husband who protects and provides now because I can't I can't do the the main obvious thing that I want to do I can't do so now how do I protect and provide and and it's been really interesting to 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 wrestle and watch them wrestle and help them wrestle with like how else do we protect and provide what does it look like to now uh, emotionally and spiritually provide or protect family members and so I think that I think for me, that's an example of how it's built in to us in some way to have this responsibility of protection and provision. And I don't mean protection just like, oh, keeping somebody safe, but, but to care uh, and to sort of lead in this, uh, yeah, in providing and protecting. And so I've seen that in, in family members play out in this way of, oh, well, there's an obvious way for me to do this and I can't do that, but I still have a longing mm. and a responsibility mm. to do it. Mm. And, and that's how I've seen, that's one example of the way I've seen it play out. Yeah, and I think, I think Dan, part of, part of the question you're asking, I, I think is, is helpful. And it's, especially when it comes to, and this is where I think it's, we're really wrestling with the text is when Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's sort of that protective sacrifice, sacrifice the heart of a protector, a provider um, thing. And when he says to the wives and wives submit to your husbands, I think what we're saying, which is really uh, something that is sort of countercultural, is that in, in a family, we do see these as not, in, in a family context, in, in, in a marriage context, we see these as telosses for, right. for, man, for men and women as they sort of look towards those look towards those archetypes as they play out 
in mm. Christian marriage, as mm. Paul lays it out in, in Ephesians that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to at some point here. Um, I'll probably yeah, assign those to Keith to preach those <laughs> passages, but no, but the point is, yeah, we see that. And, and those are places, particularly within the family. And I think we could also talk about the way we see that play out in the church as well. But those are two places that Paul speaks specifically about the way these differences in gender role um, affect life in the church and mm -hmm. in Christian marriage. And those are hard. Those are, I don't say they're hard things, but they are certainly counter countercultural things. I'm going to flip the script on that just slightly, maybe just twist it. But that it seems to me the way the culture is doing this is really hard because the culture wants you to uniquely individually own whatever your gender that you, you have to do something uniquely you. And so if that's you have to bend and twist every expectation so that no one can predict what you would do because you have to be you in this scenario. So we need like 500 different gender mm -hmm. options for you to be the one you want to be at that moment. And it seems like others' expectations are the real evil here. But something we had said in our conversation prior, which stuck with me was, it seems like if you live into this, there's a freedom that comes with it because it's not up to you to have to decide. And now I'm being imposed. Is this the moment now when I'm doing what someone else wants me to do and I'm not really being myself? It seems like the culture is so locked into this slavery of authenticity that it, it has to constantly always fight to navigate its own way to do this. Where, whereas a Christian free to go, yeah, I'm a man and now I have a sense of what I, some things I need to do. And I'm, I'm okay to do that. I'm free to be able to do that without having to constantly worry what everyone thinks and am I scribing my own way? It was funny, we, we had a, I don't, I won't say where this was, my daughters had someone they knew in the gal, and nothing against this, just, just through the girls for a loop. She had really short cut hair and this really bright orange hair. And, and uh, I asked my daughter, what, what, why, why was that? And she goes, well, she's really just, she's trying to be unique. And she said, but the funny thing is she just looks like other people I see. <laughs> it's a, there's this need to constantly be authentic, but, but you're always end up obeying someone else's rules on this. And it just seems like it's hard to navigate that this archetype thing might actually give us as people freedom, mm -hmm. freedom to, it's okay to be feminine. It's okay to be masculine. It's okay if that's what someone expects of you, because that's, there's also ways in scripture where this seems to be a trajectory that you can live into. It seems to be freeing in some ways, yeah. opposed to the culture's and, sort of weird puritanical view of authenticity. Yeah, that's an interesting, I, I, that's an interesting phrase, a puritanical view of authenticity. I think there's a lot of richness to be mined in that. And mm -hmm. I think, Dan, it, it brings us back to sort of the thing that we has been at our heart with all of this, is that what we are talking about is not oppressive patriarchalism. Right, right. It is freedom and human flourishing according to right. the design of the creator. Right. And that we, like when we talk about this, um, what we want it to be for our people is that freedom and that rest that they find in living in and leaning into the design of, of, of what it means to be human and what it means for humans to be in relationship with themselves as they're actually made. Right. And um, I, I don't think it's any, 
it's 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 hard and it's and it's it, there is a lot of confusion and 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 um, real emotional stress and I I we do this job because we think that the gospel offers life and and flourishing and freedom and rest and that that is what jesus so yeah i i think that's why we are eager for this and not embarrassed at 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 any of this at all it's we 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 love to offer this to our brothers and sisters who are struggling and and anxious and hurting and confused and and, and as we all are at some points on this and yet we say it's freedom in life. I agree with everything you're saying, Luke. And the reason I agree with it, the reason I want to sub- I'm willing to submit to it, stumbling and falling, is because I believe that God is good, yeah. and and He knows He knows what's good for me. He knows mm. what what flourishing for me looks like. And if if that can sink deeply into my head and my heart that God is good and he is the one, he alone is the one that knows what's good for me, then I don't have to do the exhausting thing of trying to make myself unique and stand out and try to figure out what's going to be best for me. Like if God has figured it, if God has figured it out and told me, this is what it is. Right. It is if I trust that God is good because he is, then that is so much less exhausting. It doesn't mean it's not difficult because right. it can be, right. it's pain. It's painful. Uh, uh, fearing God and keeping his commands is painful, but it's less exhausting. And I think that's why Jesus can say, come to me and I will give you rest because my yoke is easy because it's because God, the triune God is good, loves us and knows what's best for us. So now we no longer, we aren't our own. We belong body and soul right. to Jesus Christ. And that, that, that gives me rest hmm. uh, in a way hmm. that no other sort of me being an individual and unique, uh, that that's not, that's not restful. It's an exhausting spinning cycle rat race. And this, to me, this is, if, if I were to say, what's the issue? And I always grapple with this because with students trying to get, here's the history of what, what's underneath it. It seems to me, and I could be wrong, but I think what you two are saying is what's underlying this entire conversation that under all of these issues really comes down to whether we see slavery to Christ and obedience to him as true freedom, or whether we see self-direction, autonomy, as Luke mentioned in his Genesis sermon series, whether autonomy is truly freedom. And mm-hmm. whatever the issue and whatever the topic of grappling, we have to choose the former, because the, the latter in history has just proven over it is, is no well, solution to the human crisis at all. But, yeah. but, but, but obedience to Christ is the solution to almost every, well, to every situation and condition. Yeah. And I think, Dan, that's such an important point to make. And one I was eager to make, I'm glad you said that is his Christian history is filled with our fathers and mothers in the faith who have walked through very difficult and confusing and dangerous times who all univocally have found freedom and life and joy even in death through obedience to Jesus and and flourishing in the gospel found flourishing in the gospel right, right. even in 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 the face of the most oppressive uh and inhumane circumstances um imaginable and far far worse than 
probably anything we've experienced in some cases. And, and I think secondly to that is, yeah, we, we're not left without a witness historically on this. And for those of us who, is, who have walked with people in, in real, um, over long periods of time, people even within our own family, um, that keeps the, the, our, our experience tells us that the, 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 the pain and the anxiety in the wrestling of all of, with all of these things um, is not worse than the anxiety and the wrestling that often comes um, from refusing to wrestle with these things. And I, 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 that's, I, again, that's anecdotal. I'm not expecting anybody to believe me based on my anecdotal evidence. I'm just sort of, that's been my experience as a pastor. And I think we'd be, we'd be um, amiss, remiss, if we didn't also say that, that you know, it's not only that Christ provides in his law, in, his, in these archetypes that he provides us in his guidance, rest to obey but also forgiveness when we don't mm -hmm. and that we don't rest in the fact that we do i, I think you're right keith I, I i find that very profound that that once we know what god has for us we can find rest and obedience because i think that's that's replete throughout the scriptures that seems to be the yeah. mode as you say luke of all the saints but also the idea that knowledge that when we don't we fall back on repentance yeah. knowing that mm -hmm. we have a gracious father that forgives yeah. these two these two things become our hope um, these two things become our rest, um, which nothing else can really provide. I think you're, you're right about yeah. that. And, I, and if we, I, if we want to get to specifics now, which with some time we've got left, is there anything we can mine from scriptural examples of men and women that again, again, and I think you said this right. Um, I forget who it was Luke or Keith, maybe both of you at different times. David did this stuff. He's not, the, it's not like doing David is doing manliness, but, but are there some general ideas we can gain? We've got this idea of filling and, and forming. We've got something more relational and something more, um, objective um, and sort of external. Are there other, other examples in scripture we can look at to help and not, not as definitive words, but for our people to go, if you want to understand, go read these things, go look at these figures. Do you have any that we can pull out um, to help fill this idea of archetype maleness and femaleness in? Well, the one that I was thinking of uh, besides <clears throat> David was just uh, for maleness is like Peter's will, Peter, I mean, He's a little wild and he stumbles all over the time. But, but, I, but I think that his stumbling often comes from a desire to like a willingness to get out there. And mm. like, even if, because he's fallen half the time, it's wrong, but, but he, he longs to like, to, to follow Jesus and be the first person, not because he wants to win, but he wants to be like, he wants to be out there. Oh, Jesus, you want us to do this? All right, here I go. go. And I think that, that desire in Peter to say, this is what Jesus has told us this, or this is what the law says, I'm going for it, uh, is, I, I tend to think of the things that I struggle with, <laughs> and then look at biblical characters and think, oh, that's, that, that's something I can learn from that. It's not be like Peter, it's, right. it's, it's be like Christ, and I see how other men have lived this out. And so for me, that, that's a struggle to do that, and I've always appreciated it about Peter, even though he poke fun at his constant failures <laughs> and putting his foot in his mouth. But I think he puts his foot in his mouth because he longs to actively obey 
and actively be mm. faithful mm. to the call in his life. And I, I love that as a picture. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, so th that is a really helpful place to look. But if, if we're thinking about, um, let's say if we take that paradigm of forming and filling, and, and we're using that and, and sort of trying to use that to help navigate our thinking about what femininity is maybe in, if Keith has given us that for masculinity. Um, it, I, I think the, well, in Proverbs 31, you've got this woman that is described at length in there who I know that there's been lots of things done with that at women's retreats and things that probably we would cringe at in many ways. Um, as I, in other words, by putting the Proverbs 31 woman forward, I, I'm fully aware of the stereotypes that have been used. And yet, I think when you read through those last verses, she is doing lots of filling that are remarkable in, in, in the scope of, of her work within the context of nurturing and filling her family, which is just, I'm not going to take time to walk through it and read it all, but um, just the ways in which she provides and cares and, and um, does all sorts of things that... Um, one of the things that says is strength and dignity are her, are her, you know, that it's mixing all of these things that we wouldn't necessarily think of. And yet here we have this virtuous woman who is um, loving and providing and filling up her family in, in a really wonderful way. One, one thing I hope you all are hearing, sorry, Keith, I just want to just, just backpedal just for a second and, and please continue with this is that what I, I think I hear the two of you doing in the, I think it would be really helpful as a tool as we all navigate this is that you take as a possibility against but these two metaphors and then you use them sort of like screens to pull these biblical examples through mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. say if if it's if it's forming let's look at how right. david maybe lives in or let's look at um um how peter lives into that and and again it's not it's not taking these people as this is how you do it right. but but the model that you seem to be using which i find really helpful is we do have a way of putting up this little screen and pulling Peter through it and saying, oh, I see forming things he's doing that gives me a sense of how this might get done. Or Esther, here's how she actually mm -hmm. uses her filling role, her love for her people. Mm -hmm. That's the screen you can pull her example through to get a yeah. sense of what this looks yeah. like. So sorry, Keith, yeah. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, and I think I before Keith- Luke um, meant to cut you off. Yeah, I, didn't I, I particularly meant to cut him <laughs> off. But um, I think that that's sort of what I was doing when I was- looking at like what female example would I give for filling is that be the thing because it it seems like okay if filling is and I'm I just want to sort of unpack how I would do that with Proverbs 31 sure, Dan, sure. to give a little better idea yeah, yeah is that if I would do that with Proverbs 31 if I think filling is this sort of archetype now again this is not to say that every woman has a family and have kids. But in this particular setting, it really is focused on the way that she 
gives back and deepens and enriches her family, her, her community that should, it's, it's, here it mentions her children and her family, if that's a feeling. If you're not a married woman, what does Proverbs 31 mean to you? It means that you're forming and filling the particular community that you're set into, and you're bringing all of this energy and relational wisdom that clearly she has in, in Proverbs 31 to enrich and enliven the community, whether it's a large community or a small community, whether it's friends or family. Anyway, so that's sort of exactly, thanks for like being overt with it rather than just um, let, letting us do it. Sorry, Keith, go ahead. Uh, the only, I was just going to quickly mention the only other, the, the one I you also think about, because I was trying to think of one not in a, the marriage context, is the way that Ruth uh, is relationally driven with Naomi. And like, she like this her this is her particular concern mm -hmm. when when Naomi's in trouble it's like I'm staying with you uh and so there's this yeah I think that that is a filling function in the way that you've just described it Luke mm -hmm. that, that it's fostering relationship mm -hmm. it is helping uh fill a community now it's a pretty small community of of two yeah. in that moment but mm -hmm. but as we know that grows in into mm -hmm. the line of Jesus and so I, yeah, I think that's another way that we you can see that. And it's mm -hmm. also not even like a particular skill set. I mean, you can mm -hmm. use administrative administrative skill set to for the benefit of people and relationships. And so it's not just like, oh, well, I'm not a uh, if I'm not a people person, if I'm not an extrovert, then does that mean I'm deficient somehow in my femininity? Well, no, obviously not. There there are all sorts of ways for us to be. Uh, doing these forming and filling things. It's not a particular task or skill set. It's uh, it's something to be moving toward. Well, let's yeah. use that Ruth, Ruth and Boaz because there's a, there's a really interesting feature too that Ruth's, Ruth's relationship, and if we can again pull it through that screen, there's some things that really come out fairly clearly in her intentional love for Naomi and, that really, and Naomi's love for her to see her established and Boaz whose responsibility has been to manage successfully this this farm so that he's now capable of doing this. And when immediately there's a need for a redeemer, he goes out, boom, let, let's get this person involved. You need to respond. Will you be the one? And that's not mm -hmm. just, if we're using this model, we can say that's not just Boaz who the culture turned into the patriarchal leader. He's living out his formational responsibilities mm -hmm. by making sure the situation works so that mm -hmm. where, where, you know, Ruth and Naomi are really intensely in, you know, working on their relationship and even the relationship of Boaz so that they're cared for in that way. I think if you use this archetype model, you can you can actually see those features functioning in that moment. Um, yeah. How how he's how he sees himself living right. in to yeah. his role and theirs into theirs. And and I think all this brings me to say how um, sort of cold this might leave you in the abstract, but when you bring it to bear on particular situations that you find yourselves mm -hmm. in. It's, it, I think it, it warms it up a little bit. It's a, it's a little richer and more helpful um, rather than just masculinity or femininity in the abstract. Right, but right. Matt, what does it look like for Boaz to sort of orient himself towards masculinity in this mm. role? And, and it makes me think of, um, if, if we were gonna think of the antitype of, of let's say David, which would have been Saul, right? Saul, um, how did Saul, I don't know. I'm riffing here now, so shut it down if, it, if it's way out of bounds. <laughs> I gotta figure out the mute button, but go ahead. There you go. Um, you know, Saul 
is the obvious choice to be the king of Israel because he's head and shoulders above that. I mean, physically, he looks the part. He's big and he's strong. But when you think about his key failure, his key failure was a failure to lead the nation in obedience. Right. And and, And his key failure was he feared the people who wanted to hold back mm. these things when God, you, you understand the story that I'm referring to where God comes and they were told to um, assign everything as uh, devoted to the Lord for destruction. I'm not going to get into all, all that that means, but in, but in essence, he failed to obey because he feared the people, mm. or perhaps he was just greedy. It's, it's hard to be exact on all that. So that like, that's the art, that's the antitype of, what he was meant to be as the king and the leader in that situation. So I think well, take, take, take that. I mean, that, that, I mean, there's more to, I mean, not more to mind, but I think you're right. Even if you say formation was your specific responsibility, Saul malformed Israel. Mm. He, mm-hmm. he used his power to form it in a way that was against. And so his particular right. sin was not a relational sin. His particular sin was, if, I mean, I'm, this doesn't mm-hmm. get at everything, right. but in one sense was choosing the wrong authority and wrong rule and wrong values to form Israel into something that God didn't want right. it to be, what mm-hmm. potentially had as a man of God to form. And, and I think you see, you're right. You see that in David. David forms the expectations and heart of Israel aright mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to form around God's law and glory mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you find Saul forming it badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. The, the other example, I think we, I think, and one thing I do want to say about this before we, uh, before we end this at some point is just recognizing um Leslie Bustard's work on, mm-hmm. on gender and, and femininity mm-hmm. with her idea of Ezer. And I think there's mm-hmm. been a lot of work done on that. And yeah. Mm-hmm. She's not on this podcast, but I think uh, if anybody's looking for, to fill some of these things out, maybe even a little further, she's, yeah. a, she's a good we person see, to talk I, to. And, and that, that class is still available, I think, on our oh, online. website, on the archives. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. The, the other one I think that I think the church has always held up is, of course, Mary, um, mm-hmm. who, who, you know, took a lot into her to do what she believed was what she's being called to do. It takes a lot of courage. It took a lot of fortitude, mm. but it was a specific kind of courage and a specific kind. And we don't often think about Joseph who had to then take the brunt of this socially and publicly. You're not married yet. And you got a pregnant wife that, that had to fall on him. And he had mm-hmm. to not only protect her, but he had to orchestrate a trip to get, to get to, to Bethlehem. And so he had mm-hmm. a lot of forming to do around her while she was protected to do the kind mm-hmm. of thing she needed to do. And both of these were tremendous courage tremendous fortitude but of a certain kind yeah where the one really couldn't do it for the other one they had to do their yeah. own thing so some interesting stuff yeah. there too yeah and that that is interesting to think about um yeah the cultural pressures that joseph would have been under in that in that moment to put mary away privily as the old king james <laughs> right, right, used to right. say yeah yeah I don't know if there's any other last last few. I mean, I, I think what I like about this part of the conversation, and it's taken a while to get here, is that, as you said, Luke, it's starting to warm up a bit. You're starting mm-hmm. to see some actual lived examples of this that may yeah. give us some direction. I think yeah. Paul's grappling with this in his letters when he's got many women that help him, yeah. but they seem to take on really specific roles in the life yeah. of the church. Yeah. And and the, and the, even the orders that, that Paul gives to Timothy about what an elder should do, mm-hmm. seems like there's some very specific gendered things there, archetypal, mm-hmm. if we're saying that, things there as well. So it's more yeah. than just we've talked about. Yeah, I, that's true. And one of the things that I won't get into it because I still, I, I, I just... I either noticed it or it was pointed out to me. It was probably pointed out to me, um, but I don't remember where. But um, 
as Paul addresses these um, these issues of gender and gender roles that he's so famous for addressing, he always addresses men and women together. Mm. It's it's never just and men you need to X Y Z or women you need to X Y Z. It's men and women, men mm. and women, and I think mm. that speaks to something really. Um, I don't know. I, I'm still thinking about it, but I think there's a lot there about mm. the interdependence and how the men and women, their roles are complementary in a way that they both together um, leaning into their masculinity and their femininity, what it is to be man and woman, both biologically and, mm -hmm. gen and gendered mm. together image God and together um, show the glory of um, hmm. glory of God in humanity. Yeah, that's good. And I, uh, what I like about this, and I, I, I think, and maybe it's um, again, repeated a bit ad nauseum is that as a framework, we all have to go, we have to keep going back to scripture to fill it in. Mm -hmm. And it's not, mm -hmm. it's not a formula. And then there's maybe another F sounds yeah. here, formula. Oh, yeah. or, or framework. framework. This is this is hmm. is a framework. It really does not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work as a formula. And and when we try to do it that way, it just falls apart. And so, and that's maybe why God didn't provide it for us. Because even as creation, while there's there is clear genders, there's a diversity even in that. Mm -hmm. that we're not going to fully understand. Um, but that it, it there is a framework that allows us at least to start examining ourselves and 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 looking for ways to to live mm -hmm. more full and flourishing lives. Yeah that don't get boiled down to a, you know, this is exactly right. how you get and, it done. So the Bible's our authority here, not. Right. And I think, and I think what that means is what I hope we're doing for our people, Dan, is really either reaffirming their starting right. points <laughs> for these conversations or recasting starting <clears throat> points <clears throat> for conversations <throat> about this, because not, not based on our conversation, but based on the scriptures that the scriptures are, there and they do have something to say and they are nuanced and thoughtful and rich mm, and mm, mm. they're not archaic um leftovers of of a, a non-scientific unenlightened age on all of right. this that right. actually there is life and and beauty and healing and um a, a real starting point for us when we're being told perhaps there are other starting points that we need to consider mm. as we talk about this. So thank you. Yeah, that's a great point. And I want to go back to something Keith said, and Keith, I don't know if you want to just conclude with something like this, but not only is God good, and I think you're exactly right, boy, however hard this is, we have to start and conclude with that point. And we can never get outside that framework, but that the scriptures as presented by God provide what is the good. It is, it is the good and the right and the true. And even if it's hard and even if it's difficult, even if it sounds a bit, foreign to us. There is a faith here to believe that it is God's good work, God's good word, God's good direction to us. So we have every reason to go back to it and wrestle through it because it's not promised to us as an easy thing, but it is promised to us as a good and right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's so good. It's worth it. It's so good. It's worth right. it for the, for the rest of our lives. And it's uh, difficult enough. It's a difficult enough work that it takes the rest of our lives. Right. And well, so it, it is this it is this long journey of faithfulness. What is it? The uh, uh, long obedience in the right direction or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this is this long obedience 
uh, in this direction in the way that God has pointed us and is taking us and we're doing it. I'm I was really helpful that you added, I'm really glad and it was helpful that you added that Dan about forgiveness because yeah, we're going to stumble and fall all along the way. Mm -hmm. And the goodness of God also means that we come back to him uh, in, in repentance and he is gentle with us and he <clears throat> forgives us and he continues to move us forward and walk along the way. And that's why I think it's so, I, I don't think we could say it enough, like, like talk to us, reach out to us because this is, this is the good, this is the good work and it's the difficult work and you can only do it in community. Yeah, and, no. and so we need each other. Uh, the three of us need each other to talk mm -hmm. through it and we need each other to, to live this out in a, in a faithful yeah. way. And, um, that's so true how much we need each other. And I look forward to uh, one day publishing the papers that uh, uh, and the conversations, the unrecorded conversation papers. When the book gets written one day, right? When, when that went into uh, all us three together wrestling through this. And, well, yeah, they don't know and, there was an aborted <laughs> podcast and all of this. They yeah. don't know about yeah. the, uh, the aborted podcast in the middle of it where Keith <laughs> jumped up and slammed his computer shut. And, and oh, it's it, dramatic. Yeah, very yeah. dramatic. Quite a story. When we retell it, it'll be even more dramatic. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Especially if I use it as a sermon illustration. Yeah. I walked in and broke Luke's computer. That's where it that's right. That's where it leads to. Yeah. There was a flat tire involved. It was pretty bad. <laughs> well, gentlemen, again, like always, this is uh, this is healthy and and I think there have been times when we've wrestled through had to do this in a, in a life-giving and helpful way. Mm -hmm, Didn't want to do mm -hmm, it. And mm -hmm. we don't want to create more division and more difficulty. I know that's your heart as pastors, but I think it does take something. And I probably said it already, but it takes something to be willing to come and be vulnerable like this, knowing full well that there are going to be people that could bristle mm -hmm. in either direction. Sure. And, you know, we'll probably mm -hmm. hear about it, but that does not, mm -hmm. you still have had the courage to say something about this in a way that I believe is helpful to our people. So yeah. Thank you for the for the risk. I know well, it's a safe place to do it, but it's yeah. still a risky thing. And I'm yeah. grateful and, that you have. And Dan, thank you for um, persevering and, uh, <laughs> yeah, leading this discussion in such a thoughtful way. Hmm. Well, praise God. We'll, we'll be praying that, that God uh, uses this for his own ends um, sure. and fully hopeful and confident that he will abstract and take uh, take out of this um extract all the things that were useless and unhelpful <laughs> and but, continue yeah. what little what little bit is actually helpful so thank you very much gentlemen this has been thanks, a, Dan. an edifying podcast thanks so much friends thanks so much for joining us for this episode of two pastors and a professor a podcast of wheatland presbyterian church you can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website at wheatlandpca.org.